to Embracing the Journey, a program focused on the freedom that comes from being able to talk about death. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank. Today we are talking with Bonnie McKeegan, licensed clinical social worker, talking to us about the California End of Life Option Act. Her experience has been focused in hospital and outpatient healthcare, and she has dealt with end-of-life decision-making, grief and loss, death, palliative care, and hospice. Welcome, Bonnie. Hi, Lori. Thank you for having me today. We're so glad you're here. It's so important that we talk about this. And this is a topic I know you're passionate about. Do you have a personal connection when it comes to medical aid and dying? Yes, uh, this legislation is very personal for me. In February of 2018, my mom used medical aid in dying to end her unbearable pain and suffering from terminal breast cancer. My father held her and I knelt at her bedside holding her hand, praying and watching her while she died peacefully in her sleep. She made the decision to use medical aid in dying because she knew what cancer had in store for her in the final days. She'd endured aggressive treatment and all its side effects too for four and a half years trying to buy more time with us. So this was actually her second round of breast cancer. She had fought it 18 years prior and had been living as a survivor up until 2013 when the cancer was found in her bones and was already causing pain. When she died, the cancer was in her bones, liver, lungs, and probably in her brain. She was in so much pain um, those last two months before she died, she couldn't lay on the table for the scan to see exactly how much the tumors had grown. Her increasingly unmanageable pain was actually a key indicator for the oncologist. Um, and, you know, as it is every time you go to the doctor when you have a pain uh, disease. Sadly, by the time she died of breast cancer, she'd been through quite a bit. Well, what exactly is the California End of Life Act? What, what does it entail? So the California End of Life Option Act is a state law that allows terminally ill adults to request medications to end unbearable terminal pain and suffering. They must be capable of self-administering, self-ingesting the medications and have the mental capacity to make their own medical decisions. So they, does a doctor administer this? No. The doctor, the steps that you go through are all voluntary. You, you request the medication from the doctor. You go through this long, lengthy process I can explain later. Um, and then he writes a prescription and the person has to take the medication themselves. They have, so to the family to, they have to be able to swallow. The family cannot give the patient the medication, cannot you know, administer the medication. You can mix the medication that part of it, you can hand it to the person in the cup for them to drink. They have to take it and drink it themselves. Well, is this been legal in California for a long time? It's been legal actually since June 9th of 2016. So quite a while now, we have a lot of data about it also information. Well, do other states have something similar? Yes, actually, medical aid and dying is legal in nine other states in Washington, D.C., 
um, I could list the states if you wanted me to. Well, if you if you know what they are, I well I, I have them on the a list. I can't memorize them, but I have them on a list in order of when the law was the laws were passed. So, um, Oregon was the first law in 1994. Then Washington, Montana, Vermont, California, Colorado, Hawaii, New Jersey, Maine. And New Mexico actually just passed their new law this year. Like they passed it in March and I believe their governor signed the uh, bill into law uh, in April. And there's several other states working on legislation also. This isn't something that, that I have necessarily heard a lot about and I don't know about other people is how uh, popular, what kind of support does this law um, garner? Do, do people support it? Well, actually, um, according to a 2019 survey of the California Health Foundation, 75% of Californians support medical aid in dying. And this, these findings are consistent with previous surveys as well. Many organizations, large ones people will recognize also support it. The ACLU, California Academy of Family Physicians, California American Nurses Association, California Bar Association, California Commission on Aging, the California Psychological Association, the National Association of Social Workers, California Chapter. There's, there's a lot of support and it's across socioeconomic status, it's across religion and it's across ethnicity. Well, that's much more support than I was aware of. That's interesting. Yes. Well, who knows about the law? Do doctors talk about it? Well, um, some doctors don't talk about it, but, uh, and, and it's, it's kind of sad that most people don't know about the law. Many people don't know about the law, but you know, if something's inevitable, we should learn about it ahead of time, right? So, you know, figure out what the possibilities are um, if you've been diagnosed with terminal illness, you need to talk to your doctor as soon as possible about what to expect and all of your end-of-life options. Talk to them about your priorities in terms of end-of-life care. The problem is many doctors and patients don't talk about end-of-life options like hospice or palliative care until the very late stages. And by then, a patient might lose the ability to access medical aid in dying. Some doctors are not allowed to talk to you about it. It will never include the option in your end of life discussions. Religious medical systems, there's a reason for that. Religious medical systems like Dignity Health forbid their providers from participating in the process. Those systems have deemed just telling you the option exists as some form of participation. So, you know, the right, <laughs> do doctors talk about it? Yes, and many doctors participate and will write the prescription. Many doctors, especially in these sprawling, you know, religious medical systems are not allowed to participate. They're not even allowed to talk to you about it. Um, and, some, and the law says, you know, an individual provider can decline to participate. It's a voluntary participation on the provider's end also. So even some doctors who don't participate, they might not, um, very naturally bring up the subject, you know, just as a part of the discussion, because, you know, it's the doctors have a hard time talking about end of life, actually. Surprisingly, you know, their whole goal is keeping us going as long as possible, no matter what. So they have a hard time with that transition. 
That is true. And you're listening to Embracing the Journey on KBMR. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank, and my guest is Bonnie McKeegan, licensed clinical social social worker, talking to us about the California End of Life Option Act. So, Bonnie, how easy is it for people to access if they don't necessarily hear about this from the doctors? How do they find out about this? And and um, what's the process? Do people ever get involved in, in thinking they want to do this and then change their mind? Well. Um, the process is not easy. Uh, in fact, when my mom struggled with getting through some of the steps, she struggled with getting through some of the steps, even with my father and I's help, my help. The biggest challenge for her was traveling to the two appointments and the time frame, And I'll explain that in a moment. But she was so close to death that she didn't know if she'd die suffering or become unable to access the law while waiting to get through the process. The day of her oral, there's her second, you have to ask twice orally. And the day of that second oral request, she told me I was her superhero for having helped her get to those appointments. It shouldn't take a superhero's help to access this compassionate law. Um, there, there's plenty of safeguards, and I will tell you about those um, also. But there's a few unnecessary barriers uh, to the to accessing the law. In fact, Senate Bill 380 was introduced in the state Senate this year to fix some of the unnecessary regulatory barriers to access and to reauthorize the law per, um, permanently. As it's currently written, the law sunsets at the end of 2025. And again, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, law, uh, that Senate bill also, um, if you'd like. So the process is, it's a 13 step process, 14 steps if a mental capacity evaluation is needed. And the first step, you know, is calling your doctor and making an appointment. I mean, that, that counts as a step. You gotta get that first appointment and there's time, you know, involved in that. So basically, the patient has to ask their doctor twice, 15 days apart, and have an appointment also with a consulting doctor, so another doctor, to confirm the terminal illness and the patient's mental capacity. Part of each conversation is a confirmation that the patient is making a voluntary request, is making an informed decision, and has been notified of all end-of-life options. So in each of those appointments with my mom, my father and I both went, uh, I drove and um, they they had us leave the room. They had me and my dad leave the room each time to to talk to her privately, Mm -hmm. uh, to be sure, you know, that there was no undue influence. Um, And so I, you know, I witnessed how this entire process went for her. The patient has to prove state residency and provide written request a written request with two witness signatures. Then the doctor counsels the patient to have someone present with taking the medication and that it must be done at home, not in a public place like a park. Can't go to the beach, lie on the beach at sunset. It has to be in a private setting um, and that, that can include a nursing home. The patient is given an opportunity to rescind or you know, change their mind about the prescription request And they're told that once they have the medication, it is still their choice whether to take it or not. Um, 
the prescription's written, then it has to be filled by a compounding pharmacy. And that's another step that takes more time. And it can take extra time up to seven to 14 days typically. For my mom, it was, um, it was prescription was written on a Thursday and I was able to um, pick it up the next day. And that was pretty quickly actually. Um, yeah, but I had to drive an hour into Sacramento to get it. So it's important to understand it takes, um, there's a time factor and um, it typically takes much longer than the two weeks required by law in between you know, the 15 days uh, required by the law between the oral requests. So Bonnie, would there be a, a benefit to somebody who again has a terminal illness is maybe doing okay for now, they, they, but they know they've been counseled as to what would come to begin this process early since it, what I'm hearing is once they start it, once they have the medicine, they choose whether they take it or not. Yes, they do choose whether they, it's completely, this is all voluntary. It's, it's just like having diabetes medication. Your doctor writes the prescription and he's told you, you know, all the risks and benefits, what's going to happen if you don't take the medication, what we hope to have happen when you take the medication, you know, that it will help your diabetes, but it's still your choice. It's the same thing with medical aid and dying. There's no, there's no, yeah, there's no mandate. So it's not like a, a, a timing thing. You get the medication and it expires in 24 hours or something. No, it doesn't expire in 24 hours, but there is so there's two pieces to this. Um, there is, the timing is, as soon as you are told that you um, are, you know, have six months or less to live, that's the time to have the conversation if you haven't had it already regarding all of your end of life care options, hospice, palliative care, medical aid and dying, voluntary stopping of eating and drinking, which is also legal, um, you, you know, you talk about your values and your priorities. You want to, do you want to die at home? Is that your choice? Do you want to die comfortably, peacefully in your sleep? You know, that's, that's the time to do it. I, we do recommend the, the problem is often hmm, people want to live. And so, and doctors aren't super good at having this conversation. And so we do every possible aggressive thing there is to try to buy time like my mother did for four and a half years. So we don't talk about death and dying and our end of life options until it's almost too late. And that's, that's why the statistics um, are, I believe less than two weeks average time on hospice service because we wait until the end to even talk about the inevitability of death. The best thing to do is to ask your doctor now, if I were to become terminally ill, if I were to wanna to discuss this option, would you talk to me about it? If I were to choose this option, would you support me in it or would I need to go to somebody else? The earlier you know that, the better because there's such a time frame involved. Yeah, and I really hear what um, you're saying in terms of giving individuals the most option, possible options, that they're a choice at all times. Yes. That this, this law is not about taking away their choice. It's about giving choice. So it's about offering another option that yes. the majority of Californians and 
many people across the country uh, support. So how many people have used this, this law in California? The statistic that we have is from June 9th, 2016 to the end of 2019, 1985, I believe, uh, patients have accessed the law, meaning they have gone through the entire process, Californians. They've gone through the process of obtaining the medication. Do you ever hear from families or is there an informal group in terms of, does this, the person who is, dying makes this choice to, to uh, minimize the pain and, and to create the in peaceful environment that they want. But what's the impact on families? Do you have a sense of that? I mean, certainly you're a family that had this experience. Does it, is it more difficult to have your family member that you love choose the time that they decide to peacefully pass or? Oh, no, it's quite the opposite actually. Um... So it's important to understand the patient is not ending their life. The terminal illness is ending their life. Death is inevitable. Cancer killed my mom. She ended the terminal pain and suffering cancer was causing. The patient who accesses this law is ending their suffering on their own terms on the day of their choosing. Patients are counseled to discuss it with their families. Families and patients have the opportunity to control, you know, have some control over the end, time it, play music, pray, have silence, surround them with loved ones, hold them, whatever is within the patient's values and is important to them within the legal part of the law, you know, you have to be, can't be on the beach. I would like to do it on the beach, but that's not legal. Um, <laughs> The hard part is our loved one is dying. That is the hard part. For me and my father, it would have been much harder to watch my mother go through more days of pain and suffering. The only thing she gave up was more days of pain and suffering. She gave up the very last bit that cancer was bringing to her, which was horrendous. And she knew what was coming through personal experience as a caregiver of the dying and from watching my brother die of cancer in 2002 before this law uh, was an option, watching her father die of cancer. My uh, paternal grandfather died of cancer. There's a lot of cancer in my family. It was much, it, you know, it was already awful the day she asked for the medication the first time and, and she didn't take, get the medication for over 30 days after that. It was getting worse day by day. So the pain of our loved ones suffering while dying is something many of us live with the rest of our lives. It's traumatizing. My mother's peaceful death was so much better than other deaths I've witnessed. From listening to many stories, many stories, both before I was involved in this movement and now even more, I believe it's easier on, on the family, much easier. You're listening to Embracing the Journey on KBMR. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank, and my guest is Bonnie McKeegan, licensed clinical social worker, and she's talking to us about the California end of life option. Well, that's definitely interesting in terms of the, the family support afterwards because we had been talking about the patient's perspective. What is the actual process of 
I, I, you've talked about the steps and, and meeting with the doctor and the counseling, but on the day that the patient decides this is the time that I choose, what is it? Are they taking a pill? What are they? What, what's the process? Mm. Okay. So another part of the law, which doesn't count in the 14 steps, is that within 48 hours, you know, 48 hours before the patient takes the medications, they have to sign a final fourth attestation. So that happens two days before. On the day of, you've done your planning, um, the person is ready, they decide, okay, today's the day. I, uh, and for my mom, she just, when she decided, she decided on a Sunday, but she had taken a, she had had some dairy the night before. She was down eating maybe two bites, one, two bites at a time. That's all she could eat. But she had had a bite of Kraft mac and cheese, which is kind of a family tradition somehow because she's now done it after my mom, my brother did when he died. Anyway, that was like her last meal, basically almost. Um, but dairy can, um, you get, the pharmacist counsels you, counsels the person who's picking up the medication, you know, or the, you know, whether it's the patient or oftentimes it's a family member on exactly the timing of the medication. There was four medications involved and I'm not gonna go through serious details about that, but all of the medications are designed together to um, cause the peaceful end. And, you know, one of them is a heavy duty dose of sleeping medication. So the person is, you know, so you time these medications and then the very last medication is what we call the aid in dying medication. It is the big wallop. And, um, but within minutes of taking that medication, I mean, literally like within two minutes, my mother said, I'm ready to lay down now. And she laid down and closed her eyes and 22 minutes later, she took her last breath. Her body took its last breath. She was completely unconscious, asleep, peaceful. I watched her watching for signs because you know, this is the first time I've been through this and I've seen a lot of really bad stuff and terms of dying. And I've seen some good deaths too what we would call good deaths where the person was completely at peace. I'm not saying that doesn't happen without this option because it does happen. Hospice is very good at this. There are some situations though where pain and suffering is just uh, intolerable and it's not, it can't be well managed. My mother did not want to be unconscious, you know, palliative sedation for days on end or however long it might take. I'm not a nurse, so I can't tell you how long, but she knew. Um, that it could take, she didn't want to be that way in bed, dependent on us taking care of everything while she was bed bound and unconscious. She did not want that. So the process for her was 20, it was pretty quick. You know, she decided she took the medications and um, it was, you know, from the time of the first medication, I can't remember now exactly, but you know, cause you wait 20 minutes and then you wait 10 minutes for the next one. And it, it might've been an hour total. Is there a physician present during this time or just the family members? The law does not require a physician present. Uh, they do counsel people to have someone present, to have a family member or a person. And there, it is, you know, hospice 
your terminal, you've been given a terminal diagnosis and they recommend that you have hospice care service on board, that you are on hospice. So you have the support of a social worker, a nurse, the, the medical director, and then hospice does want to be notified that this is happening and they offer to be there. It would be good also to have a death doula there. You know, we have birth doulas. Many people don't even know death, what a death doula is, but they help help people in preparing for the end and shepherding through the end and then the after death care. And um, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I mean, my dad went through this and I felt fairly confident the physician, the pharmacist and the doctor counseled us on what to expect, what to do if, and I don't remember what the ifs were, but none of them happened. Um, Having somebody there who knows a little bit about the medical thing that's happening could be helpful. It's not required well, by the law. Why is it important for listeners to know about this law now, especially if all their loved ones are healthy? Is, is it important for the average person to understand this law? Um, well, one reason it's important to know about it while you're healthy is that that could, status could change any day. And I'm not trying to be scary or anything, but we all know that. And if your medical providers work for a religious medical system, like our local Dignity Health, it's a Catholic owned health system. And there are other, um, other religious health systems sprawling across California. They won't be able to support you if you become terminally ill and want this option. They won't even talk to you about it. So if there's a chance you would consider this option, you should ask your medical providers ahead of time it can be, it's just a part of your healthcare values discussion with your doctor. If such and such were to happen, these are my priorities and values. Um, if you find out that that provider can't support you because of the rules of their employer, um, or they've chosen, they cho would choose not to because it is a provider's individual choice, um, you should know early on. Uh, that way you won't be surprised and face you know, some additional barriers to accessing the law if or when the time came. Well, what are some resources that people could investigate this on their own? Are there some websites, some books, some videos that people should be aware of? Sure, there's, yes. Uh, I have a suggestion, one each for each of those categories. The website I suggest is compassionandchoices.org. They are a national organization working to educate people on all end of life options, all, including medical aid and dying. They have a ton of resources, educational resources and planning resources. They have a plan your care resource center with lots of tools and videos. There's information could about, you, go ahead. Could you repeat that again? Cause I just realized I'm fascinated but I didn't even write it down here. Okay. It, the, the website's very easy. It's compassionandchoices.org. Excellent. And, you know, they have advanced directives, care planning tools. They have, you know, tools for talking to your doctor about end of life planning. They, it's just, it's, um, and, the, and they have a map of the states, you know, all the states and what's happening in all the states regarding medical aid and dying. And they're working passionately to advance medical aid and dying because the majority of people want it. The book I recommend, um, there's so many good books out there, but specifically for this, 
Um, the book, Finish Strong, Putting Your Priorities First at end, Life's End by Barbara Combs Lee. She um, was a nurse. She worked in end-of-life care. She, I think she became a lawyer, got involved with legislation in Oregon. She covers tough issues around aging and dying, and it focuses on personal values and beliefs when talking about end-of-life options. It's a great book. Um, and Bonnie, we're just about out of time. We have about 30 seconds left. So did you have a video you wanted to tell us about too? Look up the film, Here a While. It's a powerful story about a terminally ill woman who returns to Oregon while to reconnect with her estranged brother while making her decision about medical aid and dying. You can find it on Amazon. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank, and I've been talking with Bonnie McKeegan licensed clinical social worker. And we've been talking about the California end of life option on embracing the journey on KVMR. You can tune in and listen to Embracing the Journey the fourth Tuesday of each month at 6.30 p.m. Thank you to our engineers, Ralph Henson and Jeff Wright and Jeff Wright for our theme music. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you so much, Lori. Mm -hmm.